0: The pond with Barry and
1: Chad. Good morning Barry. It is a wonderful Sunday morning over there in your image. Um I'm just looking at the sunshine. I can hear the birds chirping in the background. <laughs> and I am incredibly jealous because it's seven degrees over here. Twenty-four hours ago I was in a nice warm Italy. Uh, But now I've got a hoodie on.
0: It's a a real shame, Chad. I mean, right here, the weather is absolutely beautiful outside. I can't wait to get out this afternoon go for a run and Mm. kind of enjoy the sunshine. It's heading towards summer, so it's getting to that lovely African sun. And uh, yeah, you should be jealous, Chad, because it's pretty great (laughs) over here right now.
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, uh, I'm just in the holiday blues, I guess. I'm just going to have to get over it. What can I say? Shall we head into our episode and talk about the week that was? Let's
0: do it. Number 46.
1: (laughs) The Week That Was. Alrighty, we've been chatting over the last couple of weeks, Barry, about TikTok and all the various concerns uh, in terms of China, how they're using the data, all of that kind of stuff. There's been some development in that story this
0: week. Definitely, and it's a bit confusing, Chad, because there's been so many conflicting news stories about this thing. So we're not quite sure what's happening, but as far as we understand... Of course, Donald Trump came out and said that the US were going to ban TikTok and everyone went to a, like a hullabaloo. And so they came up with some sort of deal where they're going to sell the US operations to a US company, so give control of that data to someone in the US because right. they're worried about what China's doing with it. So all of a sudden it started a huge bidding war as to who wanted the US operations of TikTok. Now, obviously you'd, you'd like to think that some sort of social company is going to buy that thing and is going to make it something cool. And out of nowhere, Chad, they come and announced that Oracle is going to be buying the U.S. operations of TikTok, so which makes no sense <laughs> to me whatsoever. For those who don't know, Oracle is a giant software, like B2B platform behind Salesforce, which is their major product. and yep. It's like a huge behemoth across the world. But they're not a social company at all. They do <laughs> like proper B2B software sales. <laughs> yep. And so the fact that they're coming to Oracle makes very little sense to me. The other thing that they, they said was that the actual algorithm itself isn't going to be exported to the U.S., So that doesn't make sense to me because that's the whole point of buying it, right? It's to get control over that algorithm. I mean, some of the concerns that they had in the U.S. was that the algorithm is going to manipulate certain videos and try and create certain trends and kind of infiltrate the U.S. democratic system. They're worried about user data getting st- getting stolen or other data on the phone getting stolen. But as far as it looks like, all they're going to do is they're going to move the data themselves from, from whatever cloud that the TikTok guys are using across to Oracle Cloud in the US. They're going to install a US board, and then they're going to kind of run it from there. But the algorithm itself is going to still be Chinese. And yep. so I don't know if this achieves the purpose. I don't know what's going on, Chad. It's all a bit confusing.
1: Yeah, that is really confusing. I mean, I only know of Oracle, like you say, from Salesforce and also their accounting software. They've got some accounting software as well that I've used in the past. Um, So this does feel a little bit random um, to have them buying our TikTok, but I guess they are used to handing a lot of data and, you know, they've got a cloud solution, uh, certainly on their accounting software as well, that is highly regarded uh, in the marketplace. So I guess in terms of why they're actually taking on this data and the way that they're I suppose, looking at this transition from that point of view, not having the algorithm or any social media related effect kind of makes sense why it would be them. But it, it does feel a little bit strange. I mean, I suppose there were two concerns. Like you said, the algorithm was the first one. And the second was well, what other kind of data is China collecting from TikTok app? Um, and so I, I suppose having a portion of that stored in the US would help some of those concerns. What do you think?
0: I think it's a difficult one because no one's been able to prove that they have been stealing yep. data, right? So people have combed through the source code. They've already looked through the app. There's no signs that the app is actually stealing other data from your phone right. when you use the app. As far as it looks like from anyone who can see, the app is just looking at data as so what videos you watch and then like re-recommending re- videos going forward. So the kind of the, the stealing that everyone is... Worried about is a little bit understated, I think, yeah. and the more soft power, being able to control that algorithm, is I think what the worry actually is yeah. at the end of the day. Because when it comes to stealing data, if you can't find them stealing the data, then you can't really you can't ban them just because you think they're Chinese, right? Yeah. That that does yeah. not how it works, and so you've got to try and really show where this data is going and where are these leaks if they exist. When it comes to the soft power, being able to control the algorithm, be able to control what's recommended, be able to like move trends backward and forward, like we've seen with Facebook and Google and all the drama on that side, that to me is the more important piece of this puzzle. And the fact that we're leaving the algorithm in China and they can do whatever they want with it um, is, is very confusing. I get it from a Chinese perspective because that is the secret sauce, right? TikTok is winning because of their algorithm. Yep. They've got this amazing way of delivering you stuff from all around the world, from random, random channels that <laughs> you never would have come across that are tailored to your unique tastes. And that's what makes that app so addictive. So I understand why that algorithm is the secret source they don't want to let go of. But it feels like a compromise from the US. At one stage, they were saying, we're going to ban this thing completely. And now all they're saying is, we're just going to move some of the data across to a, a US server, but the app is going to stay as it is. So I don't quite know if this achieves what they're trying to accomplish, Chad.
1: Yeah, it's really an interesting one, especially when you look at, like you say, what, what the initial concerns actually were. It almost feels like as long as there's some commerce coming to the US, they're happy to you yeah. Know, yeah. cut with this ban, <laughs> um, which, is, which is, you know, that's, that's really a pity. Um, because if there is good commerce coming from China, it should really sit in the, in the company that's come up with that innovation. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that would be a poor way to, I, I guess, execute this in the end.
0: Do you think that's something potentially behind this? Definitely. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the new jobs it might create, the kind of commerce it might bring into the country. As this thing starts to get monetized, there's op- opportunities for that sort of thing. And for Oracle, it's a huge win because yep. they get a huge, huge client onto their books. And, it's, and, and the amount of data that these guys are collecting is crazy. So I think it is a commercial thing at the end of the day. Uh, that's what frustrates me sometimes is that they use these privacy concerns and whatnot as smoke screens for yep. what is just good business and trying to make sure that this this is probably the only social app, Chad, that hasn't been born out of the US that has really gone global, right? If you look at every other social app, it's all US-based, a lot yep. of it in Silicon Valley. And so I think there's a little bit of FOMO missing out on this one. <laughs> I mean, we've seen Instagram try and copy it. We've seen uh, Facebook try and copy them and, and not really had success. Yep. Um, and so I think it's a little bit of we need a piece of this pie because if this thing becomes the new Instagram, we don't want to be left out of the pie. And so it kind of feels like it might be a smokescreen for that. And we'll have to wait and see over the next few weeks as things get clarified. As I say, there's been lots of conflicting news stories and there's not been much clarity in the the discussion. So we might find that things change over the next couple of weeks. But as it stands right now, it feels a little bit like that. It feels like the U.S. is just like showing their muscle and getting a little bit of their piece of the pie, at least for their U.S. users. That would
1: be a real pity, to be completely honest. Um. Very. Let's just talk a little bit about TikTok. Generally speaking, let's talk about Instagram Reels. Um. I know you're a TikTok user. You share a couple of really good ones to me uh, every now and then. Um. How's how's that going? How's your patterns, uh, in terms of consuming content on the platform going?
0: I find it such an interesting app, Chad. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's really really interesting. Not in the way that most people think about it. So I kind of. I don't, I don't see myself as a TikTok user. I see myself okay. as a, like a like a, a study of, of the human behavior on the app and like how okay. the app is actually working. Okay. Because what makes it so different to every other app is that it's not built around who you follow. It's built around just random, random content coming from anyone in the world. And so you can go viral instantly based on how the app works. So for those who don't know, kind of how it works is that if you put a TikTok online... TikTok will guarantee you 100 views, basically. Okay. They will show it to 100 people in the first like hour or so. And then they monitor what data is, is coming back. So right. if all the 100 people watch your video all the way through, then they're like, okay, cool, that's a good sign. Then they'll show it to another 1,000 people right. and see what the data is on that. And so as it goes more and more bigger, if people if keep watching a video, if it keeps being compelling, all of a sudden they can show it to millions of people in a day. which is something that Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you just don't get that kind of organic reach because on those platforms, it's based on who you follow. The explore tab is really not that, big part of the product. It's more about the actual brands and personalities that you follow. So what TikTok has been able to do is change that entire thing where it doesn't matter who you follow. It matters what videos you like and what types of things that you find interesting. And the things that you watch, all of a sudden the algorithm will will grab that and give you more of that, right? And show you things that you never would have thought about, you never would have come across in your whole life. So a lot of it is frivolous. I get it. A lot of it is dancing. It's silly jokes. It's puns. (laughs) At least on my feed. Um, And so a of it is frivolous and I think it's it's a mistake to spend lots of time on the app. It's very <laughs> addictive. It's very easy to sit there and say, get us ten minutes and four hours later you're still sitting there. Oh, yeah. um, so it is addictive and that's dangerous. But I find it interesting as a new wave of social media, social platform, where it doesn't matter how big your brand is, it doesn't matter like like what how good your marketing is because if your video performs well in those first hundred people and it keeps going as it gets to bigger and bigger scale, TikTok can make you famous overnight. And that is a very, very strange phenomenon in a world where we used to just focusing on follow accounts.
1: Yeah, that really is different. Um, and I didn't really know that guarantee of 100 views. It's a really smart way of doing it, to be honest. I, I almost wish YouTube or Instagram, Twitter kind of adopted that same approach. Like you say, we are kind of stuck in this world of followings, brands. Um, and I suppose, yes, the bigger followings, the bigger established brands do have good content. Um, But there's no doubt that there are people out there who have some fresh ideas and have some words to contribute um, to the conversation who are just not being heard. Um, So that definitely does sound quite interesting. Have you created one of your own as yet?
0: I have, I have. So ah. I've been playing around a little bit, taking some of my YouTube videos and some of my Instagram stuff and, and, and testing it on there. I haven't had much success just yet. I don't <laughs> think my kind of videos on philosophy and stuff they don't play that well on TikTok <laughs> just yet. Um, but it's one of those things where I'm, I'm enjoying the process of just watching this new social app take off, right? Yep. Of course, it's not It's not brand new. It's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we're in this exponential curve. And so I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up the same sort of organic growth as things get bigger and bigger and bigger. We've already seen stars emerge from TikTok and they've got hundreds of millions of followers in some cases. Um, and so it's one of those things where... I'm curious to see how things go as things scale and are they able to hold on to that ethos of really giving creators a chance who have no following, who have no backing. And if your stuff is good enough, it can go viral. Um, So I don't know, Chad. My my own TikTok account, I'm putting very little effort into (laughs) it. I don't think it's my platform myself. But for other people who are into that sort of thing, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful place to be creating content. And it gives you a chance to break out. Whereas on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, it is incredibly hard to break out.
1: Yeah, completely agree. I actually think we need to set up an account across the Pond and we post our bloopers there. What do you think, Barry?
0: <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea.
1: Now, just in terms of the, the actual monetization of, of this, how are they doing that? Because I've not used the app before. Are you getting shown ads every couple of seconds? How does it work?
0: yeah so at the moment there's no ads and right. so that makes it a really really clean experience the only way creators will be able to monetize is by doing brand deals or kind yep. of in native advertising that you've seen on all the other platforms I'm sure ads are coming at some stage I mean we, we, you can't without it forever yep. but for the moment they're just focusing on organic growth and they, they're taking no revenue from the creators themselves so if creators okay. are, are making an, a branded product they kind of will show their makeup or the drink whatever they're selling um, and they obviously will get paid by the brand for that, for that, those views um, I think it will be coming down the pipe but at the moment they're still on that scale that scale thing trying to win as many users as possible get everyone addicted to the platform and then they can start getting the ads in and we'll have to wait and see what those ads look like because with every new platform you've got to make it a little bit different you've got to kind of really tailor yourself to what what people expect on the platform and so an instagram ad which would be very different to what a tiktok ad could be so we'll have to wait and see on that
1: yeah and hopefully if you're watching such a short video anyway Hopefully there's no ads mid-video. That's been really annoying me on YouTube lately is the mid-video ads. You, you get a good part of the video and you have to just stop that momentum, sit and <laughs> wait five seconds for this thing to pass. Um, I really hope that they you know, factor that in mind.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think what's also been interesting to watch is that with all this chaos around the US um, TikTok about maybe being banned and whatnot, you've seen these creators desperately trying to get their audience off of TikTok onto other platforms, right? Yep. So you've seen a lot of them trying to convert their TikTok followers into YouTube subscribers and Instagram followers, etc. And so I think it's a reminder to all creators that you have to have diversified options mm-hmm. so that if are, your platform of choice, you've got 3 million TikTok followers and all of a sudden it Falls away, yep. and if you haven't converted to an actual personal brand beyond that one platform, you're in trouble. So that's been another interesting thing to watch: is that your brand is only as strong as the the actual followers and audience that you have direct contact with, yep. right? So whether it's via email, whether it's on Instagram, etc., etc., you don't want to be reliant on those platforms. You want to have direct contact with your fans. And on TikTok, because you don't have a follower-based platform, you don't have that direct contact necessarily. And so I've seen lots of creators trying desperately to convert into YouTube subscribers and Instagram followers in case the app disappears tomorrow.
1: Yep, that's so interesting. And I suppose it's one way that we're seeing creators have to pivot to be able to, you know, stay on float and keep that following. And traditionally, the kind of advice has been for people to pick one platform, pick one platform to focus on. Obviously, have your offerings and, and slightly different forms of content on different platforms. Um, But I suppose now it is more important to diversify those a little bit more equally. Um, which I suppose for a lot of creators who have already established themselves might be a bit confusing.
0: Yeah, I think so. But I think it's such an important like change in the internet. If you look at anyone who built an audience on Facebook 10 years ago or five years yeah. ago, <laughs> you might have an amazing huge audience. And all of a sudden, Facebook creates all mm. these features where your stuff barely reaches your followers. The people who actually like your page, it might reach 5-10% of them and yep. they want you to pay to reach the others. And so if you've built a, a million people on that Facebook page, all of a sudden it means nothing now because mm. Facebook changes the way they do things. And so, I I think it's very, very important to obviously, you have to be very good at a platform to make a big audience. You have to focus a lot of attention and, f- and make sure you're making the right content for that platform. And so that kind of focus is still important. But you have to be so careful that you're not, that, that you are like getting whatever, you, whatever way you can, getting a direct contact with those followers. So that if Facebook changes the way they do things like they do, you have an opportunity for them to follow you to wherever you're going to be next. Yep. And that is something creators have to be thinking about if they're looking for long-term success. Because these platforms, it's it's up to them, it's up to their whims as to what they want to do. And you don't want to be caught on the wrong side of them if you haven't thought about diversifying and getting an actual direct contact with this with your subscribers. And that's where I think email is such a powerful, powerful tool. Because email no one can control. Right. Yep. If you've got an email list, no one can control that. You can get direct contact to your 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 fans' inboxes, and that I think is where people often forget about it because they're all they're all they're worried about is social media. Mm. Whereas the email knows no matter what happens to Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, your email will still be there. And so that's where I think creators need to be thinking a little bit more smartly when how do I convert to an email list so that I have direct contact to those followers whenever I want.
1: Yeah, that's true. Except for, I suppose, Gmail that uh, sends it to different folders, depending on what it decides your (laughs) email is, Um, which is also interesting because, you know, I might have to set it up individually if if I don't want a newsletter to go into a promotions folder because that's not what it is, Um, which I guess is the only exception. But you're completely right. Uh, The old and trusted uh, email that revolutionized the way uh, that the world works, really, um, however many years ago, is still there. It's still um, got the finger on the pulse, and it's still something we rely on every single day. Now, Barry, I wanted to shift the conversation slightly towards COVID, a topic we can't get away from, and uh, really just to, to chat about what's happening in the UK. I know last week we chatted a little bit about the rule of six, um, which a lot of people were not pleased to see. And obviously, since <laughs> then, we've seen this exponential curve just on the rise. It looks, based on all the graphs I've seen, that we we're heading for that second peak. Um, and in terms of, you know, whether there are as many uh, fatalities as there were before, maybe not. Um, but there's no denying that if we kind of let this exponential growth continue, um, that's certainly where we're headed for. There's been reiteration on the fact that this virus is no weaker than it was however many months ago. It's, it's maybe changed slightly, but it's by no means any weaker. Um, and so look, it's really just interesting to look at some of the data and look at, uh, I guess, how it's looking on the ground um there's estimates of about 6 to 7% of the population who have the antibodies um whereas you know in London that number's looking a bit higher maybe 17% um but the government's still obviously quite concerned by this exponential growth that we're seeing at the moment um and and definitely some some calls to action being made so we saw this past week a bit of an announcement uh, a little bit of change in direction when it comes to working from home they've been trying to push people to go back into the office long as it's COVID secure and I myself have been in a couple of times and there's been this push where you know a lot of people have not understood completely why working from home is is very very possible it's not essential you don't need to go into the office especially if you're in a corporate job obviously there's always benefits uh, in terms of just social interaction with workers that incidental uh, communication in the hallway and I guess mentorship and that kind of stuff as well. There's no denying that. And some people are, I suppose, more productive from home. Some people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's been that renewed call to, to work from home now, if you can. Um, they've announced a new grant scheme. So essentially dropping the furlough scheme and announcing a new grant scheme where essentially employers and the government are, are chipping into lost hours, which is different. So previously, if you didn't need a worker, for example, um, you could put them on the furlough scheme and the government would pay 80% of their salary. Now it's essentially saying, well, what were your full hours before? What's your reduced hours? And we'll now chip in, I think it's a third of that or something like that. Um, So, so that new grant scheme has been unveiled. And then taking a page out of South Africa's book, we've got our very first curfew, Barry. So all of the <laughs> pubs and restaurants uh, now have to close at 10 p.m., which is still pretty reasonable, I'd say. But it does avoid having people stuck in pubs Until all hours of the morning, um, you know, I suppose where they're in conditions that uh, people will not exactly adhere to distancing guidelines and that kind of stuff. And I've seen some memes on the back of this uh, where you've got the stay alert, uh, you know, all of the slogans. Um, The one meme basically said, drink earlier um, and, you know, worked on that (laughs) on that basis. Um, So it it really is quite funny to see uh, in terms of the meme side. uh, But certainly, certainly feels like there's a lot more coming from this side.
0: Yeah, lots, lots happening, Chad. It really is interesting to see. I mean, South Africa is about to open their international borders yep. in a few days' time, yep. and I think England's going to be one of those countries that they're <laughs> going to maybe, maybe not <laughs> open just yet because of what we're seeing on that side. So it's a little bit scary. Yep. I think it's one of those things where we've seen a, a number of cities have these these second waves, right? Spain is going through one right now, where like a very, very different um, kind of second wave of these the infections, and it reminds us that this is not over. Things are, are still going like they are. I find it amusing that you guys are going to go to curfew. I'm I mean, guessing no alcohol ban though chad
1: <laughs> no no alcohol ban everyone will be very <laughs> pleased about that
0: <laughs> so i think it's one of those things where every city is going to deal with this in a different way and trying to do the best to try and manage again that same old balance we're trying to find between the economic stuff mm-hmm. the health stuff and just the sanity and the morale of the people right and so a second lockdown would be devastating for the uk but it might be necessary if things keep going the way they're going yep yeah. And so, again, the government's got to come in and kind of say, listen, we have to put some measures in place to try and make sh- manage this thing and make sure that we don't go backwards in time and back to where we were before this. Um, and it comes down, again, to the citizens as to whether they actually – look to these rules mm-hmm. and guidelines and actually in- enforce them themselves, whether they are cautious and, and really are looking after themselves and the people around them. Um, at, the end, at the end of the day, the vaccine is still not here, and so it's the same story. You still yep. have to be very, very careful about how you live your life, and especially when it comes to traveling, and when it comes to going to work, like you say, going to the office, all that good stuff. Um, we have to wait and see, and, and hopefully, Chad, these new measures will really kind of manage this thing and that you don't go backwards in time.
1: Yeah, hopefully. And I hope that people do adhere to it, because yesterday, as we speak, this is on Sunday, um, yesterday on Saturday, basically there was protests in Trafalgar Square. There were thousands of people uh, all (laughs) together, right on top of each other, not a single person wearing a mask, protesting against another lockdown. Um, And, you know, just to look at some of the comments on Twitter on the back of that. And I guess, you know, it makes complete sense when you've got people on the front line at the at the NHS who are working tirelessly to try and keep this thing under control and I suppose um, when we were at our first peak even more so and now by collectively gathering in these big groups in Trafalgar Square we're just flounting the rules in terms of uh, you know the social distancing guidelines wearing masks all of that kind of stuff it really is a middle finger to those frontline workers
0: yeah, it's 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 really sad to see. When we've seen similar things in the U.S. as well, about these really really silly protests that really are like offensive to those people who've put months and months of their life into mm-hmm. into keeping this the city alive, right? Keeping the country going. I, n- I know that I haven't to some of my doctor friends, they really do are affected by the way that the rest of the citizens kind of treat the various guidelines sure. and rules because they, they see the worst of the worst. For a lot of people in these cities, you might... Be, obviously, you've been talking about COVID for months now, but if you haven't had someone close to you affected, it's very easy to kind of dismiss it and say, yeah. oh, it's overblown, it's overstated, etc. Until you have someone near you that dies or a friend of yours that gets really, really ill, yeah. or if you're on the front line and you see what the actual reality is, Unfortunately you can't transmit those feelings to someone who just doesn't care. Yep. And so for someone who's been locked up for so long and kind of feels like twenty twenty's been been pulled away from them, they sometimes feel entitled to this new way of, of life. And like well, I want to go back to normal. I'm I'm healthy, I'm not sick, and so I feel like I deserve to go back. And it's such a it's such a selfish way to look at the world. Yep. When we look at the around you, what what impact those big protests have on the numbers, and we'll only see it in a week or two's time. So it's going to be difficult to tie it directly to a protest like this. Yeah. But it's 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 sad. It really is sad.
1: Yeah, it is. There's no doubt that there's going to be increased transmission as a result of that gathering. Um, and, I mean, my biggest question is what happened to all of the fines that Boris is talking about? Any group bigger than six? Is it just too big to control? I mean, I, I certainly could have thought that they would have been able to, I don't know, get uh, all of the police officers to, to kind of surround this group and one by one fine every single person. Um, It just is that flounting of the rules that people seem to think in big numbers exempts them from. And typically protests are actually exempt from this rule of six, but they do, of course, need to follow social distancing, need to wear masks, all that kind of stuff. And there was an announcement made by government uh, revoking that exemption for this gathering. So if that exemption is revoked, surely those fines should be applied too.
0: Yeah, it's a weird one, Chad. I think that politicians have found themselves in very difficult situations over the last couple of months. I think there's been a lot of really sensitive social issues and a lot of big protests about really important social things yeah. There have been in a difficult time because of the COVID, right? Like when you look at the Black Lives Matter stuff and all the all, all, all the things that happened in, in those protests, yeah. it was for a very good cause and a very important cause. But right now is not the best time to have thousands of people marching in the streets. Mm. But at the same time, you can't... You you. you As a democracy, you can't just step up and say, no, we're not going to have that anymore. So you really are stuck between a rock and a hard place. You have to enforce those rules for the the sake of the health and for the sake of, like... Making sure you stand behind the guidelines that you set, but at the same time you still have to be showing that freedom of speech is still a thing, and you can still protest, and that, that's a, a very important piece of democracy. Yeah. So it's such a fine line, and I think for any politician trying to get reelected, reelected, um, they're not going to want to get in the way of that because it might look insensitive or tone deaf to, to the people that really feel they've been they've been hurt or been they've, they've yep. been whatever. Um, but it's very different when you're protesting masks versus protesting racism, right? Exactly. So like masks are are very clearly a different different kettle of fish altogether. And I think it's pretty safe to say that we've proven that masks really do work and they're really important. And so to protest that, you really should be able to enforce the rules on those sorts of protests as opposed to more social type issues.
1: Yeah, it really is a tricky line to walk on, like you say. And I may have not detailed this too well, but uh, this was a protest against a second lockdown. I guess as these numbers are creeping up, people are anticipating one coming through. And I think that would be a sensible thing to do based on the numbers at the moment. If you look at the the maps and if you look at the, the news at the moment, a large percentage of England and the United Kingdom are currently under some form of strict lockdown. And so why London isn't, I guess it's only a matter of time.
0: I didn't actually realize that there was so many so many pieces of England still under that lockdown. Yep. So that makes it more interesting because London, of course, it sees itself as the hub. It's probably the most important piece of that country. But you don't want to have different rules for them versus other smaller cities, right? And so that is interesting. I think that for London itself, it has been the epicenter of the virus because of the density and because of the number of people there and whatnot. Um, and so you've got to take it very, very carefully. I think that, like you say, if a lockdown is coming... Um, it's not a good sign of people are protesting it before it even happens, yeah. because if it does happen, are they going to actually do it? Right? Are they actually going to go home and stay at home or not? Um, and so could things escalate over time? That, that's a worry. So, yeah, the, I think the government's got to come out and really like, show their force, maybe, maybe kind of change the messaging a bit, try and get everyone on the same page again. Yep. I think everyone is so fatigued, right? The kind of love for the NHS it wears out after six, seven, eight <laughs> months because people want to get back to normal, yep. right? They don't want to be kind of in this in this altogether. So especially when you've got given a taste of your freedom and then it gets taken away, we've chatted mm-hmm. about that in the past. Yep. And so yeah, psychologically, I think 2020 is going to be a very fascinating year when you look at human nature and what it takes to actually shut a whole world down for a long period of time to try and save as many lives as we can. Um, from a psychological perspective, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it is fascinating. And also from, I guess, the wider uh, discussion on, on culture around the world and how citizens are, are responding to these measures from government, it's interesting um, to see the UK reacting in this kind of way, uh, but you know, looking in Asia and all of that kind of stuff, it's very easy to follow those guidelines because it's ingrained in the culture. Um, and, and that's been something that's been, for me, really interesting to watch um and yeah i guess as we watch it unfold um it'll be something we'll we'll keep our eyes on and i'm sure we'll we'll chat about it as things go on now barry 2020 has been what it has been but it's also been the year that casey neistat is back and i am (laughs) ecstatic about it
0: the king is back chad the king (laughs) of youtube is back uh we were chatting about him a couple months ago saying how we missed his stuff and then out of nowhere, he decided in his new Los Angeles life he's gonna start daily vlogging again. And that is super exciting to me. I've I've thoroughly been enjoying it. Yep. When he had three videos in a row, I was like, Oh, is this is this is this the start <laughs> of something? Is this the is this the start? And it looks like it is, Chad. He's yep. making a video every single day and he hasn't lost a step. No. He hasn't lost his touch. His ability to storytell around the most banal yeah. like normal things is incredible, Chad.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when the first video came out, you know, it was good, but the quality wasn't quite up there with the videos he's been uploading of late. Because when you're talking about a daily vlog, obviously you're not going to hold it to the same set of standards as someone who publishes once a month or once every two months. And so when I saw the f- the video come out, I actually sent Barry a message and I was like, this is this is not i mean this is casey like i'm disappointed <laughs> until we saw that little section there saying new vlog and barry told me about all the speculation across um various feeds of social media and uh, like you say we saw the three days come out in a row and then it was a sure thing essentially and he has not missed um although he, he, i think he's missed one day um i didn't see one come out yesterday But but yeah, I'm ecstatic about it and uh, loving, loving, loving it, especially when you when you look at the effort that it takes to make this kind of video with the various uh, forms of camera angles to actually set up all those tripods, have the drone up just to film him doing certain things. He really is quite something.
0: The amount of effort that must go into those videos is unbelievable. And if you haven't made a video before yourself, I don't think you even appreciate how difficult it is to get all those shots and make it all like Mm. seamless and make sure it looks all great. I mean, the number of times he must get off his bike, set up a tripod, drive back, (laughs) then drive (laughs) past it again, then get off the bike, go and fix the camera again, (laughs) do it again for a second angle, then a drone angle. It's like, it must be absolutely insane and to do it every single day is is a real talent i don't know if you saw the one chat about his ant infestation yeah but he he has this way of taking these like small things that (laughs) happen in his life and making an entire vlog around it that is cinematic that is interesting that is funny sometimes in a day and then edits it and puts it out and then does it again the next day so like you say it's not the same standard you'd hold someone to if they were making like a more polished like weekly thing or monthly thing but for a daily vlog i don't think there's anyone better And what I found interesting as well is that obviously previously we lived in New York and in New York, there's just so much going on. So there's so much interesting things he could film and whatnot. And so it's been a challenge, I think, for him to come to L.A. where there's a lot less going on Mm. and still find things to make stories about. He's obviously changed his life phase as well. He's much more of a family man now. He's not the workaholic that he used to be. And so the tone of the vlog has changed a lot. But I think just the the, the Casey Casey aspect that he changed, I mean, he changed daily vlogging, right? He was the original guy who really made it a mainstream thing and showed how it is possible through great storytelling to make a film every single day that is really compelling. And so it's really good to see him back. And I'm looking forward to watching as he goes on. Like you say, he might miss a day or two. I don't think he's like holding (laughs) himself to every single day like he used to. Um, But I think YouTube itself are loving that he's back.
1: 100%, definitely. Um, the king, the the king of daily vlogging, like you said, is back and I am just delighted. It's just one of those where you kind of live every day of your life and you have something to look forward to every single day. Um, When, when that notification hits on my phone, it's an instant shot of dopamine that I'm ready to, to get stuck in and watch the three or four minutes, whatever it is. And like you say, the fact that it's just ordinary day-to-day stuff is fine. People actually resonate with that. We don't need to always have these, these crazy experiences or, or you know, crazy things to, to document. So just to talk about the, the ongoings of day-to-day life, how his life has changed, all that kind of stuff, I've been finding it really interesting. Um, and yeah, you certainly should if you've never checked out Casey um, He I mean, he's the man. You've got to do it.
0: He is the man. And there's also lots of South African accents in his video because his wife yes. is South African and all that. So always a good thing to hear a good old South African accent.
1: Yeah, and he's even been bringing her dad into it as well. Um, which has been really <laughs> funny to watch. Um, and he seems like quite a cool cat as well. Barry, shall we move on to our next segment? Let's do it, Chad. Stuff I found interesting.
0: So, Chad, are you a Christopher Nolan fan by any chance?
1: I am. So, I've watched the the Batmans, Interstellar, um, you know, some of his other high-ticket items. Uh, definitely a fan, yeah.
0: He's a great director, right? And I think he's very, very highly acclaimed. He makes these incredible pieces of work. All of his movies are blockbusters. They're set in crazy places. They've got very confusing storylines <laughs> in a lot of them. And it's one of those things where he's a director where you see one of his films, you know it immediately it's a Christopher right. Nolan film. And so he's got his new film out called Tenet. And I haven't seen it yet, but I'm dying to see it. But it's one of those things where... He likes showing his movies in big IMAX theaters. So it's been a bit difficult for him to release this movie in this lockdown period where he can't go into theaters really. And so I think it's been a bit of a catch twenty-two of this thing. He wants his people to go he wants his his viewers to go and watch it in IMAX or in these big theatres because that's where they get the surround sound. You really get to take in take in all the amazing things Chris Nolan does with his movies. And one of the things that I picked out was that I saw an article about this. One of the special effects that they did was they crashed a 747 into a hangar, right? Into an airplane kay. hangar. And so basically w- what he said was, that cool, They this is part of the plot line. This is what they want to do. They want the, the 747 to crash into the hangar. <laughs> They're like, cool, we're going to do it in CGI. That makes sense, right? We're going to yeah. computer generate, make the special effect look amazing, and that's how it's going to go. And apparently, while they were location scouting for which hangar they were going to crash this plane into, right? They figured out that, hold on, they found a bunch of old planes that are sitting like doing nothing that they could buy for cheaper than it was to actually do the CGI. Uh-huh. So instead of doing the CGI themselves, they actually bought a real (laughs) 747 and actually crashed it into a hangar (laughs) for real because it was cheaper than doing the CGI. And I just thought that was hilarious because calling back one of our previous episodes, where we talked about Tom Cruise doing a movie in space. (laughs) And we were like, why would you do that? Why would you not just do the CGI? Why would you actually send him into space? Here's another one, Chad, where the actual 747 costs less than the CGI.
1: Absolutely crazy. I'm definitely keen to go and check out that scene now because Casey, we were just chatting about him, uh, also spoke about watching this and he actually did get to go and see it in IMAX. Um, but it's also, it's in the cinema close to me, so I need to go and check it out. Um, that's crazy though, just the story of buying a 747, it just in terms of, I guess, safety concerns as well. Was this thing automated? <laughs> Was there like a, a pilot that uh, jumped out just at the right time? And also what happened if the cameras were not recording? I know that's happened before on this podcast, right?
0: That was, the, that was my exact thought. Like if you if you actually buy a plane, you've only got one shot, right? You've only got one take. you got to make sure that everything is perfect. Um, and I think luckily enough, they've got the big budget to have the best directors and the yep. best photographers and the, and the best of the best on this thing. But I don't know how they did it. I don't know how you, do. And like you said, do you automate it into the hangar? Like how, how big is the crash? Do you just take it up yeah. a little bit <laughs> and then bring it down? Or do you send it flying from a height? I don't actually know how that works. Um, but I'm, I'm sure they had all the best people in the world they're trying to make sure it looks very very real and the fact that they actually did it is just hilarious to me the fact that they would rather do a real thing if they could because it's a little bit cheaper than doing it on a computer where you can kind of make it whatever you want um, yep. and so I need to go and see the film I need to go and see the, th- the, the scene I- I've heard very good things about it I've heard it's quite confusing as a movie okay. so you have to concentrate but beyond that, I think it's another another epic from Chris Nolan, and I'm a huge fan of it. So I'll go and see anything that he makes.
1: Amazing and really good that he's released it uh, during these weird times because we still love cinema. We still love new releases. So talking about hilarious, Barry, the next one here looks uh, really strange <laughs> to see on our list. Uh, something Barry found interesting this week. Barry normally finds artificial intelligence interesting and uh, you know very deep, thought-provoking, profound things.
0: Uh, but this week. <laughs>
1: Barry wants to add goats (laughs) to his video call.
0: It's the most random thing i found, but I think it's absolutely hilarious, right? So there's this, there's this farm in Lancashire in the UK, Kay. and they are a farm, and they are trying to find new revenue streams, I guess. And so what they've done is that they've got a bunch of goats that they've all named. There's, there's Mabel, and there's Elise, and there's Harriet, and there's all these goats. And what they'll do is, for the, for the price of five pounds, Chad, for your next Zoom call, your next family <laughs> Zoom meeting, your next Zoom catch-up with a friend you can get a goat, a real-life goat, on that Zoom call wow. with you. And so I think it's hilarious. I, I, I would love to log into my family Zoom chat and have my parents and my sister and all that good stuff and then have, in the bottom right-hand corner, Mabel the goat to join my Zoom call. I think oh. it's absolutely hilarious. And obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a very much a gimmick. It's very much like a funny thing to in, insert into your Zoom conversations. But apparently, what they're doing this for, Chad, is that they're trying to raise money for some technology on their farm. Okay. So they realize that this is a very funny, like, it, it went super viral, and everyone is enjoying <laughs> it and loving the, the hilarity of it, having a goat in your Zoom call. <laughs> and they're making some money to invest in some re- renewable technology on their farm. So not only are you getting a zo- goat on your Zoom call, but you're also doing a little bit of good for the environment.
1: Okay. Well, that's cool. That's cool to see that side of it as well and what a way to pivot than this i mean you've got a farm of goats <laughs> chilling there you know doing their thing and you're like well yeah let's why not why not get them in on a on a zoom call um i would have liked work
0: from home Chad. <laughs> work from home exactly That's the
1: way. i would have i would have paid maybe double to have a llama in my call. You?
0: <laughs> a llama would be great. And I think maybe next episode we need to have a goat all across the pond, Chad. Maybe that's what we need to do.
1: <laughs> I think we should do it. I definitely think we should do it. Um, yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for, for next week. I don't know if we've got to coordinate diaries with the goat. How, how does that work? <laughs>
0: I don't, know, I don't know what their schedule is like. I'm sure they chock a block full. Uh, we'll have to find the right goats, Chad. <laughs> What's really cool is that on their website, they've got profiles of each goat. So you can get you can see what kind of personality they are. Oh. Uh, and the, the, one, the one I looked for, I think it was Mabel, one of the, one of the, the bullet points <laughs> is that very passive aggressive. So you can get a passive aggressive goat on your Zoom call, which is always cool. fun.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the way we're going to try kickoff next week. Uh, no guarantees.
0: <laughs> but uh, let's
1: see. Let's see if Mabel's got some time in her, her diary for us. Uh, Let's move on then Barry one of the other things that you discovered this past week, we're talking Microsoft
0: yeah, chat. I think this is really cool, and I don't know why anyone, no one has done this yet. I think for anyone who's been on Zoom calls over the last couple of months, and I think it's everybody, there's this weird thing where you want to look at the person talking to you, yep. right? But when you look at the person talking to you, you're not actually looking at the camera. Yep. And so you'll see the Zoom screen, and the person looks like they're looking downwards as opposed to directly at the camera. And it's always a little bit of a weird piece of video technology, and we kind of we kind of put up with it because yep. that's how it is. But it's weird to look at the camera because you can't see the person you're speaking to. Of so what Microsoft have been able to do is use some AI, which I love, to change your position of your eyes just slightly <laughs> to make it look like you're actually looking at the camera. No way. So all it does is that it uses AI to take your pupils and, and your, eye, your eye position and move it a little bit upwards to match where the camera is so that you can look at the screen at the person you're talking to, but on the other side of the call, it looks like you're looking at them through the camera. And hopefully this will make video calls a little bit less awkward, a little bit more actual connection and a little bit closer to real life. How cool is that?
1: Oh, ways. That is really cool. I'm really just interested to see how it actually works. Like practically speaking, does it look fake? Um, and ultimately when you move your head as well, do you have these like two eyes that follow you around? <laughs> I mean, we've seen with filters and that kind of stuff from, from Snapchat, from Instagram, how these things typically work. And I guess it's also going to be limited slightly by the hardware that you have on your machine. Um, but I'm sure. I'm really interested by this. Like you say, I think it's a great idea because very, very often we do, we do struggle to, I don't know, look at the camera, even me while I'm talking to you now, I'm looking at you because we're having a conversation, right? <laughs> um, and it is, you're yeah. right, it's something that you kind of just get used to, but it's not ideal, it's very far from it. Um, so does this just apply to their Skype offering uh, or are they rolling it out uh, on Teams and some of the other platforms too?
0: I would assume they're rolling out across all of their platforms. I think Teams is their big one, but I don't think yep. it's there yet. I think it's still in like a prototype phase. Okay. I've seen a picture of it. I haven't seen a real live demonstration yet. Like you say, will it work in real time? That's the big key. Yep. It's very easy to do it on a picture or like a, or a static video when we're doing like two talking heads like this. But if you are moving about, is it able to to keep that in real time and, and ma- make it work on both sides? So I don't know if it's there yet. i will have, have to go do some more research, but I'm assuming it will come out to Teams and all that good stuff when it's ready. Ready. And okay. it's one of those things where we've been looking for innovation in the space. All these video apps do exactly the same thing and have done for a long time. And we've all been a little bit confused as to how quickly Zoom has taken over the market. And we're looking for more innovation in the space. And so if this works, maybe this becomes one of the de facto standard things of video calls, which will enable us to have eye-to-eye contact while still like managing the fact that your webcam is not in the middle of your screen. It's at the top. <laughs>
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, like you say, that's I guess what pioneering does, right? It sets the new standard for everyone to, to follow. Um, and I mean, I just wonder when you have the camera set up right to the side, because obviously, if we, we've got it in front of us, it's just a slight incremental adjustment. But if I've got the camera set to the side, looking at my screen over here, is it going to look really weird yeah. uh, having my eyes <laughs> rotating almost out their sockets? So many questions, but I guess we're going to just have to see.
0: Exactly. And also, I'm wondering, will glasses make a difference yeah. if, if, if you're wearing glasses versus no glasses? And Definitely. I don't know if that's the case. We'll have to wait and see.
1: Definitely. Well, moving from one big tech company to another big tech company, and uh, for a long time, I suppose the direct competitor of Microsoft, that is Apple, um, I watched a 15-minute video of someone reviewing a face mask that was developed <laughs> specifically by <laughs> Apple.
0: For their employees, does that not intrigue you at all? When I when I saw this on the notes chat, I was very surprised. I was like, "What on earth is going on?" Am I, am I guessing the face mask probably costs a thousand dollars if you're made by Apple?
1: <laughs> I don't know. So this is the thing. I saw this, and I, you know, when I saw this pop up, I was like, "Wow, maybe I can actually buy an Apple face mask," which is strange because they they don't develop you know clothes or or anything like that. They're a tech company. Um, so to see them developing a face mask, I was like, "This is very strange for them." Uh, But looking at the video, getting a bit further into it, this is specifically for employees. Um, So I guess what they're trying to do is follow the branding, I suppose, and differentiate themselves uh, from other retail offerings. Certainly when you go into the store and you're still trying to get some of that retail in-person experience as well, um, they're trying to differentiate that offering a little bit. And I, I suppose what better way to do that than to design their very own face mask. So the interesting thing for me was looking at a kind of, from first principles design of a face mask by the Apple engineers, and to be honest, I actually think I saw one of these when I was on my travels. I looked at this face mask and I was like, "This looks really slick." And it was a family of three, and it looked really slick until I saw it on this video, and it, it it definitely was the same one. So it looks like it's out there. Essentially, it's a it's a simple design where you've got uh, three pieces of of fabric, one at the top, one at the bottom, and then you've got your overarching, you know, main. Fabric piece of, at the front. What's really interesting as well is to look at the design that they've applied to the elastic as well. You can actually hook it behind your head if you'd like, if you don't want it having pressure around the ears. Um, so, yeah, some very interesting things here. As far as I can see, they are reusable for up to five times, um, and you can actually wear them for a full day, which is different to all the medical masks that only let you wear them for four hours, strictly speaking. Um, so, really interesting as well. I'm Very intrigued to see whether this is actually going to be sold to the wider public uh, after they've rolled them out to their stores.
0: Yeah, it, it, it sounds typical of Apple, right? Like really take, take something that everyone else has done and try and do it better, try and do a better design and try and make it stand out. Like you say, hopefully, what, they, what they're hoping for is that you'll be able to spot it from a mile away. Like, like we put the AirPods previously and all that good stuff. That's what yeah. Apple does really well. Is there any tech in the mask, Chad? Or is it completely functional? Are they thinking about tech? Because that's the next question in my mind. Is that if Apple's bringing out a mask, is it going to be able to do Face ID by itself without taking the mask off? Like, Is there any tech in the mask?
1: That's interesting. That is really interesting. And as far as I know, no, there is no tech in the mask. But that would be really cool if you could actually buy a mask that still lets you use your face ID. In other words, it's a certain material that lets the uh, you know the three-dimensional scanners still get through and, and see your face. That's something they should be thinking about. Uh, but no, as far as I can see, it's just a, a filter, a really good filter from what I can see. Uh, one of the things is it's got that pinch point on your nose. And if you're wearing glasses or sunglasses while you're wearing this, you're not going to fog up the glasses, uh, which has been an annoyance for anyone who does wear uh, glasses. But no, you're right. It's just a fully functional mask. Um, if you're intrigued by the story, go and check it out. It's Unbox Therapy it does this uh, little unboxing on YouTube. Like I said, it's a 15-minute video talking about a face mask, <laughs> um, which is slightly excessive. You would
0: have thought hey. so. <laughs> Who would have thought that in 2020, if you told 2019, Chad, that you were going to be watching a 15-minute <laughs> video on a designer face mask, you would have thought you were insane. What a what a year this has been. Yeah,
1: and by Apple, right? Of all people, by yeah, Apple.
0: exactly, Just exactly. Crazy. Just crazy.
1: <laughs> Let's then move on and look ahead. Looking ahead. So there was some news that came out, Barry, that you and I, I suppose, are going to be really keen on, especially when we spoke about Ready Player One the other day and how Groceries or or I suppose how takeout gets delivered uh, to these people who are living at some far point in the future. And Tesco, the grocery chain here in the UK, has actually started a trial of home delivery service by drone. Uh, Now, they've mentioned that this is going to be essentially a small, only for small orders. And you can actually get them within 30 minutes of ordering, which is really cool. Sure. They're doing a six-month trial that's getting started in Ireland, in Galway. And uh, yeah, they're currently flying at an altitude of 80 meters, um, which I find really interesting.
0: That's really cool. That's really cool. We've we've seen this potential for a while now, right? We've seen this idea of one day your groceries will be delivered by drone right to your doorstep, and it's really cool to see a real world trial go into place. So we have to we're going to get to see all the various concerns people have been having about having thousands of these flying drones above their heads, and are you able to get the right precision to get it to the right place, and how heavy can the groceries be, and all that stuff. So it's exciting to see a real world trial to see is this thing actually plausible? Yep. Is it actually practical? Can it actually work? Because if it, if it can, it could revolutionize the whole delivery industry. Sure. I mean, I, I see in South Africa, we see lots and lots of guys driving around on motorbikes delivering all the time when it comes to food and all this good stuff. And so will drones have a real impact on that market, on that kind of that e- economic activity? Yep. If you're able to do it with just a drone without a person delivering it to you. And what does that mean for the person collecting that, right? Do you have to have a special drop-off zone and all that good stuff? It can change the whole nature of delivery services and so this is exciting to me
1: yeah definitely definitely is but there's lots of challenges as well right so on the kind of distribution networks that have been set up around the world a lot of it does work off scale so you've got a route that's been planned and uh, you can ultimately have 10 20 deliveries along that same route whereas here you're sending out one drone for one delivery Um, ultimately the way that I picture this happening is within a small radius. I think, you know, I could vision one to two kilometers. I I personally wouldn't see much more than that. And so in a place like South Africa, I think it would be a bit more tricky when you've got a lot more space between, you know, grocery stores and various residential areas. Um, whereas, you know, here in the UK, it it does make sense because you've got a lot of Tesco's in, it's a very densely packed city. Um, so a two kilometer range could actually mean quite a lot and a lot of number of households. So, still keen to see how this unfolds. Like you say, uh, is it actually going to be as slick and precise? Is it going to drop it off right outside your door? Is it going to be, are you still going to have to walk uh, quite a while? Uh, I know I was at Opi Kopi, a festival in uh, South Africa, a music festival. And the year that I went, they were trialing, uh, delivering beers by drone. And uh, (laughs) essentially, you'd get this beer dropped off with a parachute. um, And based on the wind, it might arrive at you. It might blow <laughs> quite a while. Uh, and by the time you get there, someone else might have your beer <laughs> in their hand.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. It reminds me of the David Blaine thing <laughs> as to where is it going to land with his damn balloons. That's hilarious. Yeah, so hopefully the drones will be able to uh, avoid some of those problems yep. um, and and get it right to where you need to be. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, Chad, like, what kind of cost this might come at, it's like how, how expensive is it to run this? Like you say, when you're doing one drone delivery per drone, yep. and I'm assuming the battery life's not amazing just yet when you're carrying big weights, sure. and so they probably have to charge it for two, <laughs> four or five times a day, I'm assuming. Yep. So I'm interested to see like, what the cost is gonna be of this and how many, how many mistakes that they're gonna make, how many people are gonna get the wrong stuff, yep. how many drones are gonna get caught up in, how many people are gonna destroy drones because humans, for some reason, we will see a robot and people will just go and kick <laughs> it and do all sorts of things to (laughs) it so there's lots and lots of interesting social experiments coming down the pipe and i for one am excited to see it and see if it actually works
1: completely agreed um and this is a six-month trial like i said so hopefully within six months we've got an answer on the back of this uh there was some commentary as well from asda owner walmart uh saying that they're also looking at trialing drone delivery services in the near future so uh very positive for for tech nerds like you and me barry um, but we'll have to see, I guess. And I'm looking forward to reporting the day that I received my first drone delivery um, with a very, <laughs> very big grin on my face.
0: You've got to film that, Chad. You've got to get a good YouTube video of the first drone coming across your yeah. coming across your road and landing in front of you. That, that's got to be a video.
1: Yeah, definitely, Barry. I think that is one that probably will go viral, especially if it's one of the first. I'm going to have to keep my eyes peeled on, on that news story unfolding. Let's then move on to our last segment. Develop and Grow.
0: All right, so Develop and Grow is that segment where we chat about making ourselves better people and trying to become a little bit better humans and kind of appreciating the good things in life, even in the midst of all the darkness we've faced in 2020. And one of those pieces of light that I discovered this past week has been a YouTube channel called Rel and Deo TV. Okay. I don't know how it found me. It's one of those YouTube <laughs> recommendations that just came out of nowhere, and I, I clicked on it. And basically what it is is these two American guys, hilarious guys, who are sitting in the America and reacting to music from around the world. Okay. So they will take a, a, mu- a piece of music from the Philippines or from Nigeria or from uh, Singapore and react to it on their channel, and they're big music fans, and they kind of talk about some of their, their thoughts and if they enjoyed it and that sort of thing. And the one that I clicked on was a South African one. And they so they found a South African gospel song okay. that they were reacting to. And so I was like, okay, cool. Let me, let me give it a go. Let's see what they think about South African music. I clicked on it. And Chad, it was such a wonderful experience. Because watching them listen to South African music and really like rave about it, talk about how amazing it is and how inspiring it is, and mm-hmm. kind of lose their minds about this gospel song they were listening to, really made me feel really good about myself and my country yeah. in a way that I haven't in a long time. And it points to a larger idea of this, this thing that we take for granted what we have in our home countries and kind of what we have day to day because we're so used to it. we kind of desensitized to it. We we forget about the magic and the wonder until we see someone else come from outside and experience it through fresh eyes. And that's such a special experience when we do that because all of a sudden we realize that what was sitting right in front of us all along is actually a wonderful piece of art. Yeah. It was really inspiring to somebody else. So I've been rediscovering South African music through these two American eyes. And that's been really, really special. And for the first time ever, I've got myself into some South African gospel music, okay. which is something I've never really looked yeah. into. But through their eyes, they've made me realize how good South African gospel music is and how much, how many gems there are. And so I thought I'd share that experience because it's been such a cool moment of discovery and, and just a little bit of patriotism about South yeah. African music.
1: Barry, that really does sound like such a great experience. This is one of those where I suppose when you, you, you have that, Feeling of value placed on your culture that, you know, is coming from an external source that just reiterates all the things that you, I guess, have grown to know and the things you've just grown to accept as normal, right? It's not it's not a novelty anymore because it's just been you and it's been your whole life and you've heard this music and uh, it's just normal until, until you know, someone else is looking at it from an external source um, and, uh, you know, it just feels really good. Um, it reminds me of an experience that I had just before lockdown, me, myself and a group of friends. Uh, had a nice dinner at basically a house party kind of thing. And, you know, after dinner decided, well, let's just have a little dance kind of thing. And we started off with the with the normal stuff, you know, the the, the American tunes. And obviously a big group of South Africans, we we navigated our way to the traditional African kind of stuff, the, the traditional South African music. We're talking Brenda Fussies, Maria Makeba, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, even going to Mendoza with the uh, wonderful in Kalagata. <laughs> and Kalagata. And it was just such a, great experience um just sharing our heritage i guess and and just going a bit back to it um and just listening to those wonderful wonderful tunes that we've all grown to love so much it also reminds me of of when black panther came out a lot of the soundtrack of that was some south african artist um and to see that on such a big scale uh, appreciating all of this music that we've grown up around um was just really nice to see on on the world stage
0: yeah, it's, it's such an important thing. We, we're so easy to look elsewhere and see the grass as green as somewhere else, right? And, and take for granted what we have wherever we are. And so yeah. it doesn't mean matter if you're South African, wherever you are in the world right now, there are pieces of your culture and there are pieces of your, your city and your, and your country that are, are worth like, really taking advantage of and really yeah. experiencing properly. I think we all have those experiences where friends will come from overseas and we'll take them to all the tourist attractions in our own city. And for some reason, we, we're rediscovering our own city mm-hmm. because we're bringing these guys along and trying to show them the best of our country. Yep. And all of a sudden, you, you're sitting somewhere, and you're like, oh, wait, my country's actually way more beautiful and way more powerful and so much more history than I realized yep. because now I'm trying to show the best of it to somebody else. Definitely. But for ourselves, we take it for granted because we see it every single day. And so I think especially in COVID times where travel is somewhat restricted, try and see if you can rediscover the city that you're living in and try and find the, the pieces of, of magic and, and the, the wonder that a child has or a tourist has in a new place in your own city. I think if you're take that, if you if you're intentional about that and really look for those moments, I think you'll be surprised at how many good things you can find.
1: Definitely, 100%. And to go back to Casey, we spoke about just now. One of his big things when he was living in New York City is, is that he loved to travel because whenever he came back, it made him love the city even more. And it just reminds you again of this idea that, you know, you just get used to your surroundings. It just becomes normal until you go somewhere else, come back, and you're actually really happy to be home, right? Um, and so you're right. If you can try and force that mental, uh, I guess, change in perspective while we are stuck to not being able to travel, um, you know, certainly in the UK we're allowed to travel a little bit, but you're right. Uh, try and try and shift that perspective if you can, if you if you are restricted. Um, and just try and enjoy what, what you have around you. It's definitely an important thing. And Barry, just one little sub thread on this topic while we're still here is when I watched the the latest briefing from Cyril when you guys were. Have we even spoken about that, by the way? Have we spoken about you guys being on level one?
0: <laughs> i don't think we have i don't think we have we are a on level one chat oh. and the international borders are opening and things are looking good this side touch wood
1: <laughs> i don't know how we could have missed that but anyway while, while i was watching that uh, that briefing uh, and i think you were tuned in as well it was really funny to me that at the end of the briefing obviously there's a really high profile briefing you've got the president he's addressing the nation very formal um sort of tone spoke about something that's gone viral over the last couple of weeks and that is a song by the <laughs> name of Jerusalem um, with an affiliated dance that's been literally going viral across the world um, and I just found that really really funny and quite endearing actually to see the president addressing that um, and as you say looking at I guess the positives um, in the dark time.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's really special, and we had Heritage Day a couple of days ago, and so that was kind of the the kind of <laughs> buzz was going all around the world. And, and yeah. Twitter, there was tons of videos of people doing it, and a really, really special moment for the country. It's what makes South Africa really fun to be in. It's like yeah. we don't take ourselves that seriously, right? And this president's able to go and say, "Guys, we are going to do this choreographed dance, and we're going to celebrate ourselves," and, and that's how it goes. Yeah. So it's a, it's another re- it's another example of that. It's a great example, Chad, of of loving the country that you're in for the best of it, yeah. right? Obviously, South Africa's got a lot of problems and a lot of stuff we're dealing with we have to be able to celebrate these all sorts of moments where we can get together and really celebrate the fact that we've for for the most part have managed this virus quite well and kind of got ourselves to a stage where we can start opening things up and celebrate with this dance that everyone is loving even and what's the best part about it is that it's a socially distanced (laughs) dance it's perfect you're all in lines (laughs) and in grids so you're socially distanced it's absolutely awesome and yeah it it's I feel really real positive about South Africa right now in a way that I didn't a couple of weeks ago. And it's moments like this I really cherish reminding myself why I'm here.
1: Oh, that's great. Really good to hear about that, Barry. Uh, Good to hear that that positivity is coming back Um, because loads of South Africans, I suppose, have been looking for that um, when there is just so much wrong around, just looking for that little bit of positivity. Um, And yeah, nice to see that song on the world stage. Uh, is really a good thing to see. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another episode, episode 46 in the bag. And, uh, you know, Barry, the one thing that I have been missing a lot, I don't know about you, is questions from our listeners, voice notes. Uh, We've got this wonderful little link that we keep at the bottom of every single episode. It's so easy just to click it, record a question, send it through to us. It doesn't even have to be a question. Just tell us what you're thinking uh, tell us what's on your mind and we want to chat about it. I've been missing that, haven't you?
0: Definitely. I think if you've listened this far, you're part of our tribe, you're part of the family. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you, good or bad, yep. uh, because of course, this show is for you guys. This show is for you guys who listen from all around the world every single week. We really appreciate you and so we'd love to hear what you think. Absolutely. Well, that's all for today.
1: We'll see you next week. I'm I'm
0: across the I'm the the world.